Today is June 23rd, 2019. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Oki, I'm Mikwachis Chase Tukum Aki, or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, given to me in ceremony, and thankfully, I was able to learn how to say it in Blackfoot by one of our Blackfoot elders. I was, my, I'm Michelle Robinson, and I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, another very English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to the area of Clinchotine Indahe, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Many people would call it Mokinstis here in the Blackfoot terminology. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating safer space for Indigenous people, as well as honoring the host. Um, I think hopefully one day we'll get to the point where people will understand uh, stolen rights and all the rest of those things. Anyway, any any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talked about and want to talk, the call, um, if you're First Nation or Inuit in, or um, Métis, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's open toll-free and 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And non-Indigenous, you can call distress centers in your area as well. Uh, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Or send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So again, happy Pride and Indigenous Aware- Awareness Month. I feel like there's so many things to talk about. So I'm just going to jump right in. Um, I'm hoping you listened to my last episode on, you know, the inquiry and the impacts that I've felt on it. I haven't seen a lot of uh, comments, so I'd love to hear from you. So I wanted to go through some of the posts that I've uh, been posting on uh, Facebook because apparently people need explanation. It's, um, you know, the types of questions in the comments makes me wonder, oh, I don't know if they just didn't understand. So. I'm just going to start at the bottom and start working up. And um, if you have questions, then let me know. Uh, Anyone who's listened to my show before knows that I talk a lot about um, the power of your vote. And I do that because, you know, we have to start taking personal responsibility for that vote. Um, You know, a lot of people say that Hitler was, you know, democratically elected. And uh, so I want I don't know if you feel that way or not. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. But I can tell you that right today, um, Trump was voted in and Trump is 100% putting in uh, concentration camps. And I, I'm, I'm disappointed is the biggest word with society is in general. Um, I, I actually uh, quit my position with 12 Community Safety Initiative t- uh, this week. And I also quit my position with the Indigenous Peoples Commission. Um, I'm actually experiencing a lot of anxiety now. And um, I just can't put energy towards things that are part of the, you know, issue of, of things. So, for example, I can tell you a million positive things that I have gained and learned from both organizations. But I can also tell you that being dismissed by so many folks 
has also caused great anxiety. And for anybody, like I spent my 20s in um, a lot of counseling. I know what domestic violence is. I know what emotional violence is. I know what uh, gaslighting is. And clearly that is happening to me too many times in these positions. So I just need to step away so that I can start to heal. And it's not a coincidence that this happened at the same time of the inquiry report coming out. It's been really hard to see folks be so dismissive just as they were Nazis were dismissive of the uh, or Germans were dismissive of the Nazis just as folks are dismissive of what Trump is doing to um, you know children and families right now and uh, just as Canadians are to the inquiry report I um, yeah I just I can't uh, I can't continue to pretend like it's okay that people you know think these things and and uh, and it's not it, if you think that, that's great. You're just like the Germans who totally were okay with Nazis killing Jews. And I'm, I have no respect for that. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm bringing, preferencing all of that because when I post something like, if conservatives pretended to care about LGBTQ2 plus rights, one um, would get the acronym right, but two, it's a human rights issue Yet the conservatives block the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People in the Senate. So either you're for human rights or you're not, and your record speaks for itself. You don't. So the conservatives have a long history of not standing up for human rights. And so do the people who voted for them, frankly. And I think that any conservative voters that are listening, you need to know that your vote is really contributing to um, violations of human rights whether we're talking LGBTQ2 plus rights, whether we're talking indigenous rights, you are literally contributing to that. And I don't apologize for telling you these truths. You need to start to understand the gravity of what you're doing. Because ultimately, um, you know, they put pink triangles on the gay population in Nazi Germany. And, you know, we're doing the, the same thing by just allowing this continued... Well, and... Yeah, I've said this many times. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, may, this may be news to you, but Hitler did look at Canada's reservation system and went, oh, this is great. We should do that. And uh, yeah, so live with that because you should. Um, some other things I wanted to bring up is the way we love to rewrite history and make it sound like, you know, things are, were, were hunky-dory and cons- consensual in the past. And I, I posted this really great teen um, Vogue um, article about enslaved women were not mistresses, they were victims of rape. And they have a picture of a black woman's hands being tied. And um, I think it's really important to say because this wasn't just a black issue, this was what was happening with the indigenous as well. And I uh, would argue that we need to have a real conversation about Métis and half-breeds in Canada about, you know, what that really looked like. Because I think anyone who looks at the history of Pocahontas um, would see exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, it is still Pride Month, and I just wanted to throw out there to um, a lot of the uh, queer people of color and to the Two-Spirit community members that there there was um, some paid consultation in Edmonton because they're finally starting to realize this is a thing and I really believe that the inquiry report highlighted that. Um, really want to give a shout out to my friend Kevin Sisequasis out at the Beardy uh, Cree Nation because, you know, once again, he's put together a Two-Spirit Parade and Festival and it's already the fourth annual. So, here we are. Here we are now, Kevin. And I'm really, really proud of what you're doing. And I know Jack Saddleback is a big part of that. And I, I can't tell you both how happy it made me to see your pictures and see the great work that you're doing. Because you know what? We need it. And you're doing it. And I'm I'm honored to know you both. I hope you know that. Um, <laughs> Andrew Shear, he disagreed with the inquiry's finding of genocide as well. It's its own thing, he said. So we'll just bring that back to what I said earlier. You vote for these people. You are voting for, you know, anti-human rights and just continuing the um, the issues of violence Indigenous women face uh, through racism and sexism. And, uh, you know, I've been posting a lot about people who are missing and uh, really wish I'd see more people share them as well. 
Um, you know, and, and I posted an article from the, from the UK for queer women, the threat of male, male violence is an inescapable part of public life. And the reason why that's up is because for many of you, I'm sure you've seen that picture of the lesbian couple that was on the bus that were all bloodied because they were being bullied and they were beaten for not kissing on demand for men. And, uh, I really think we need to understand the gravity of what life is like for queer women. Um, I know all women, we all agree that we are marginalized in every, every kind of way. But I'm a straight cis woman, and I'm telling you, I don't understand um, the, the same level of threat and hate that a, a lesbian woman would have. And I'll tell you how many times I've caught myself wanting to say, hey, let's go hang out in Sylvan Lake all year and, or all summer and with my daughter who doesn't identify as straight. And I, like, I think of my childhood and I think of my teenage life and I think of, you know, um, men playing volleyball. I think of um, a hockey camps and all of the men and none of this applies to my daughter in any way, shape or form. And I think that um, even for a straight cis woman, like I think very differently than somebody who's sexually attracted to the same sex. And I just can't even wrap my head around um, the difference then of male violence. Because if you really don't look at men in a sexual way, you really don't pine for them in any way. Whereas I do, because I'm a heterosexual woman, it, it is a different way to look at the way the violence treats uh, those who identify as lesbian, pansexual, transgender, and um, I'm a straight cis woman. I have, I'm not going to talk more about it because I don't know what I'm talking about other than from my perspective as a straight cis woman. And, and I, I still am so upset about how, how that was treated. And I just wanted to read the words really quick of Pam Rocker. She posts them publicly. And for those who do not know who Pam Rocker is, first of all, you better go follow her immediately. She's amazing. Uh, she's a woman here in Calgary that does um, affirming connections, and that is teaching Christian churches about how to incorporate um, LGBTQ2 plus into the Christian church because uh, she's a, a son of a preacher, or sorry, a daughter of a preacher, and, um, you know, didn't um, reject her Christian faith. And I think that's a problem that many um, folks that were raised in a Christian society believe that they are somehow bad. They internalize a lot of that because of what you hear in the media. And um, anyway, so she teaches churches how to be more tolerant, um, not just tolerant, but be loving and inclusive and follow the word of um, their, their uh, Jesus so that, you know, we're, we're being truthful to what his words were. Anyway, I'm not really Christian either, so I don't really have the right to talk about that. Anyway, Pam Rocker says, in light of the recent violent attack on a lesbian couple in London, it is time for us to remember that we haven't arrived at equality yet. No matter how big of a city we live in, no matter how many supportive friends we have, no matter what laws or policies we have, our culture at large still displays hatred for women, and when intersexed with queer identity, the hatred compounds. Politicians debating our worth have blood on their hands, literally. Rhetoric that demeans and dehumanizes queer women that may seem like ignorant words, but those words embolden actions which sometimes lead to violence. Misogyny, homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia have no place in our national discourse or in our churches, much less our streets. If you preach hate from any platform, this hate allows us on your way home, and it is your responsible and your responsibility to dismantle it. It is critical to acknowledge that the attacks on these two women happened because they were women. As writer and comedian Sean Fay notes, lesbians and bi women are harassed in public because of male entitlement as well as homophobia. The reason it's important to acknowledge the gendered aspect is so that men in the LGBTQ plus community appreciate the link between homophobia and hatred of women. And I tried to talk about misogyny in that community, and I'm just grateful that others name it the way they do. So just wanted to point that out. Um, another friend of mine is Susie. Uh, Susie is uh, the female co-chair of the Indigenous Peoples Commission, and 
um, away from the commission. She just posted on her own, you know, and conservatives racist agenda started by John A. MacDonald 151 years ago continues. It's just a continuation of Bayek and the conservative senator's racist agenda. And the reason why she brought that up is because, for those who do not know, the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People was put forward in a bill by NDP um, Rob, Romeo Saganash. And it's gone through all the readings it needs to, but it's sitting, or it was sitting in the Senate. And the Senate conservatives decided that they do not want to put that forward. So that was kind of the anger and response that a lot of us Indigenous who were trying to do good things had. And I think it mattered for us as liberals because that's the Indigenous Peoples Commission is a liberal uh, part of the Liberal Party. You know, for us to support an NDP private member's bill is kind of a big deal. And for Canada to not see that is disgraceful. And for senators that are conservative to purposely block it, you know, again, this is blood on your hands. This is the violence that we face as Indigenous people, and you don't even recognize your privilege. Because of the lack of empathy, because of the lack of understanding, we have to live with that anyway. Um, really great article that came out of uh, the Yukon, and it, and it was called How a Trans Man from a Small Yukon Town Had a Big Impact on the MMIG Inquiry. Now, when the inquiry first started, um, well, actually, let's even back up further. As an as a liberal, as an indigenous liberal, I th I knew that the most marginalized group of people, while as an indigenous woman, I want to say is me. Um, I would argue is two spirit because I know that there's an amplified amount of hate when it comes to you know transphobia and homophobia and racism within the LGBTQ plus community as well as misogyny. So. For me, it was really important that we started acknowledging Two-Spirit, and I was really proud to get that policy passed through the Liberal Party. Um, but when we started talking about the inquiry, it was very clear it was not going to be um, centered around having enough Two-Spirit people talking. Or, uh, no, whoa, 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 let me say, let me take that back. It, it wasn't centered on Two-Spirit, and the Two-Spirit are the most marginalized across Canada. And I would argue Turtle Island. And um, because it wasn't centered on them, it's not even in the title. Uh, National Inquiry for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. So it's not even properly put in there. Now, the families spoke out. We all said, you need to be um, centering around Two-Spirit. And I'm going to give a shout out to Naomi, who's been on my podcast. Um, you know, she talked about the need to center it on sex workers as well. And how that wasn't obviously done. So, um, you know, it, it was really important that more people start to understand this. And, and it's hard because, um, you know, people don't even see Indigenous people as people, let alone the issue of misogyny. So missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls is not really on their radar. Then add homophobia, transphobia. Here we have our two-spirit. So anyway, this family was speaking out in Whitehorse. And... um there's a, a great little podcast about it, about, you know, what it was like for somebody who, you know, didn't have any parents, didn't have a background and felt like a pebble on the beach just bouncing around. And I'm quoting that. Um, Ledoux told the inquiry in 2017 that the consequences were, were devastating. And he says, now the experience of tef testifying that day was hard, but needed. We really need... I, we really did feel heard for the first time, and we really did feel honored by those people, by the commissioners and all their helpers, which is exactly what we need more of. The inquiry actually carried Leduc's name onward in each community after Whitehorse. That first hearing had started with the only participants being sw sworn in until Leduc asked commissioners um, to also solemnly affirm they will listen with an open heart uh, an open mind and without prejudice. And the commissioners asked permission to use those words at each community going forward. And they named it the Laduc Oath. And I thought, oh, you know, an open heart, an open mind, and without prejudice. I feel like I should almost put in the Laduc Oath into everything I say. 
and I, I may actually reach out to them and ask them for that permission because, you know, it, it's really important. I'm just going to read more. The inquiry's final report highlights Leduc's experience as a survivor of colonial violence and also as a special section of the experiences of Two-Spirit and Indigenous LGBTQ people. Because the inquiry officially referenced women and girls, the commissioner said they were urged to adopt some of the inclusive view of gender, and so Two-Spirit and LGBTQ experiences were given equal prominence throughout the report. In the interim report issued in 2017, the inquiry said it learned that there was a significant knowledge gap when it came to the understanding of scope of acts of violence against Two-Spirit and Indigenous LGBTQ people. There are no national stats, but one researcher cited that the inquiry called it a triple jeopardy. And I just need to put that out because while I've been saying it, maybe for all of those folks who marginalize Indigenous women voices, you can know it's in black and white on the CBC. And it says how a trans man from the small Yukon town made a big in impact on the MMIWG inquiry. So please center more voices around Two Spirit. I know it, it matters to me. It matters to me as um, an auntie of transgender um, nieces and or cousin. And then in, in my own world now, having a daughter that doesn't identify as straight. So with that, I want to, oh God, I feel like I have so much more to say. And actually, maybe I'll just talk about it now. Yesterday, I went to the Airdrie Pride, uh, very, very first uh, Pride walk. They, they didn't call it a march. They called it a walk and a flag raising ceremony. And it was just a small committee that put it together. And when we first got there, we started off at Airdrie City Hall and uh, Voices was asked to come out and to support this because they wanted to center it on, you know, queer people of color or uh, Two-Spirit and Indigenous, and they asked us to do the land acknowledgement. Uh, they actually specifically asked Spirit to do it, and, um, you know, so I went out there to uh, to support Spirit. And then when he had agreed to do that, my daughter and her friend from the Blood wanted to go, so we drove down to the Blood the day before, picked up her, and um, we all went down and we had another board member, uh, Tara. She was um, also, she also joined us, and it was a wonderful time. And I, I'm going to apologize to Tara. I'm pretty sure Tara uses they and them, so I'm pretty sure I misgendered you as she, and I apologize. I wanted to say that uh, we had a wonderful friggin' time. Um, Sullivan is was the organizer who reached out to us, and Sullivan is not white, and it was wonderful to have that understanding right from the beginning they talked about having you know the most marginalized um, people with accessibilities the youth um, people of color it was centered around that and I, I thought that was wonderful they put out you know solidarity no corporate sponsorship no corporate uh, pride flags things like that absolutely the fundamental issues they talked about Stonewall they talked about queer um trans women of color that were the founders really of of pride and they talked about that and i just you know had tears i was happy for everybody and uh and we marched or we walked i should say and uh walked into a park and that park had um tons of vendors already set up they had the uh food trucks going and it was just it was just wonderful just a wonderful time to go and be a part of that and uh, one of my neighbors, actually, Riel, a lot of you may know their work. They um, were singing guitar, singing and putting out guitars. So I put out a few videos and pictures. I got to put it on Native Calgarian, but actually, no, I got to put it on Voices and then put it on Native Calgarian from Voices because I want everybody to be following Voices. And for those who do not know, Voices are the um, queer people of color and two spirit that are here in Calgary and. You know, I'm just lucky enough to be an ally, frankly, and I really try to help in any way I can and very specifically with Indigenous education because even our newcomers that identify as LGBTQ2 plus have um, misconceptions of Indigenous people. So that work will always need to be done until we uh, start implementing better education across the board. 
So we went and we were having a wonderful time. Some great um, performances were happening. And then we had had a person come out and sing Cher's Half-Breed. And they had a, you know, $100 Etsy headdress that they threw on the ground and slowly took off their clothes. And it was... It was shell-shocking, actually. It was really awful. And then I looked over, and my friend Spirit and the girls that I brought were mortified eventually. The girls were in tears. Thankfully, the organizers of Pride, Airdrie Pride, came over right away, and they wanted to make... They wanted to do whatever they could to make it better. They wanted to make them apologize. And we said, you know, I I just don't know if that would help right now. And I just felt so awful that they had such a great event and it, and just in one one act so much had changed and so anyway we're, we're trying to unpack that as an organization um I got to take um uh, my my two girls we got to go to the blood and have a baby shower and you know <sighs> I explain all of this I guess all over again so I felt like an like a helpless auntie knowing I I couldn't help, but you know, you all heard spirit on my show, what, maybe two episodes ago, you you hear the genuine sincerity and, um, and he, he always comes from a place of, uh, trauma informed care and understanding. And there was a really magical moment after we came home and we had a smudge going and we talked about our feelings and we tried to let a lot of that go and seeing the two of them talk in Blackfoot on my little dog Norton looks like a little deer the way he runs and it was just magical because I knew spirit needed to be there with this little one so that we could you know really meet her where she was at and that that mattered to me a lot and I'm I cannot tell you how grateful I am for my indigenous community for spirit specifically for that moment uh Tara one of our board members fabulous at articulating so many intersectionalities and helping validate me because sometimes as a straight cis woman I feel like I shouldn't be taking any space but then when it's blatantly racist like what happened um it was really great to have someone like Tara kind of validate that as well so I don't know really grateful for the board at uh, Voices and I can't thank you all enough for for helping me with um learning to be a better ally but also validating the racism that I see every day and just had being a safer space for me to be in, let alone for young girls who don't identify as straight growing up in this world who are Indigenous. And um, i just so proud of my uh, little girl and her friend. They they said the land acknowledgement to begin with, and, you know, Spirit chimed in the Dene, and it was just a wonderful moment to see, you know, queer Indigenous do the land acknowledgement, and then... Um, Spirit did the land acknowledgement again when they raised the flag in the park. And the flag that they raised in the park wasn't just the rainbow flag. It was also the rainbow flag that acknowledges the black, the brown, and the transgender. And one of the best flags I think there are. So anyway, anyway, it was a wonderful time. And I, I think that that really adds to what I'm trying to talk about when it comes to violence against Indigenous and to intersectionality. And I hope that... um more of you see that and hear that. Um, I had some really great tweets that um, and shares that that went out there. A lot of the ones that go um, more viral are usually ones that when I when I talk about other people and they they say something amazing. So I was really really grateful to put out some of those. So I hope you got a chance to see them on my on my Twitter or on my Facebook. But uh, yeah, we. I, one of the things that bothered me that happened was uh, one of my daughter's classmates said to her, you know, not all Christians are guilty of uh, perpetuating the Indian residential school. And a lot of people ask me, especially in the time of reconciliation and TRC, like, what we can, what can we do as parents? And I always say, teach your, teach your kids better. And this is a great example of how telling your kids that it's really unacceptable to say to survivors of Indian residential school that not all Christians is a really hurtful thing. And the worst part was it actually came from somebody she had a crush on and somebody who was a person of color. So again, that immigrant um, education system sucks. 
we need to really um, upgrade that. Anyway, um, wanted to just kind of tell some other cool things that had happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, again on media, I'm just gonna slam a lot of media out there for the, their coverage on the inquiry. Media guest was on the CBC and said, you know, it's just a small minority of people opposed to the energy. And I was like, yeah, survivors of genocide. That one didn't go out that much um, on Twitter or Facebook. But, you know, it's the point. Like, we we survived genocide. And so calling us a minority, not really acceptable. Anyway, let's change gears a little bit. Um, I came across... Avenue Magazine. Uh, I got interviewed a while ago and I didn't uh, get a follow-up, but there was finally um, an article that went out that came across my my world and uh, it was the one I was quoted in. And I'm really surprised. I thought more people would reach out and say that needed to be said or, oh, Michelle, you shouldn't have said that. But I don't really think anybody noticed it. So, <laughs> so I thought I'd bring it up on my podcast. Um, basically, I got interviewed by um, Avenue Magazine and I was asked about, you know, the future of the stampede. And I think it's really important to talk about that because I know a lot of, you know, animal rights activists really, um, they don't support the Calgary stampede and, and try to protest it every year. And, you know, I'm not going to get much into that because I think there's a bigger picture here of colonialism that you know the stampede is a, a part of and for those who do not know much about the calgary stampede it's the greatest outdoor show on earth and it's all about western heritage values mythology uh rodeo agriculture cowboys and horses and um you know for the rodeo circuit like that is definitely its own industry and its own world so anyway you know and I'll, I'll just read some of it in a city continuing to diversify and evolve from a stereotypical white conservative ranching route, can the cultural juggernaut that is the stampede remain relevant without its own process of change? So, like, it asked me a pretty serious question about, you know, what's next? And, um, you know, I, I said this. Well, actually, I didn't say this part. I'll just read from the, from the article. Reconciliation means different things to different people, but at its core is the notion that Canada's relationship with Indigenous people, both past and present, is pretty awful and needs a fundamental rethink. In many ways, the center, central myth of the stampede, the celebration of the, you know, up-by-the-bootstraps ranchers who tame the Wild West, neatly aligns with the Canada's beyond self-image of kind, friendly, white settlers who came here to build communities and share the land with their indigenous neighbors and uh, they quoted me there's a western settler philosophy that believes we're a kind people says indigenous activist michelle robinson when the truth is the history is not kind at all when asked about reconciliation connell lists his credentials for allyship he was uh, staff liaison at the stampede's first nations uh, committee for 25 years and his knowledge is that the only staff liaison to receive an indigenous name from all five tribes as he grew up as an army brat near the Sutina reserve so my background goes really pretty deep he notes the subject is really near and dear to my heart connell uh which is quoted earlier in the article is a, a white fellow from the stampede giving out um, talking points and he says that uh, guy weedick the American promoter who sold the idea of the stampede to Calgary and other cities managed to negotiate an exemption in the Restrictive Indian Act to allow First Nation people to leave the reserves and bring their children to the stampede grounds to participate and to display some of their cultural practices, which at the time had been outlawed in public. He's also talking about the past system. He may not call it that, but that's what he was talking about. The legacy of this early First Nation inclusion uh, can only be found at the Elbow River Healing Camp, or I'm uh, sorry, Elbow River Camp. Um, it also is the Stampede's various outreach and hiring programs. But for Robinson, however, the equality represented in the Stampede is a myth that doesn't reflect the lived experiences of Indigenous people. You get to showcase your outfits, 
but you're still harassed and bullied by the Calgary police and you're still harassed and bullied by security. So not one of us, we're still othered, even within the Calgary Stampede, she says. Robinson sees potential, positive potential in the Stampede in the city, but only if the organization gets serious about active, um, actively creating inclusion. Given the role of ranching and agriculture in depriving Indigenous people of the territory and well-being, she argues that the Stampede both could and should be a national voice for reconciliation efforts. They don't see a role for themselves in reconciliation, when the irony is they could be leading the charge in the conversation. But Connell stops short of believing that the Stampede should use its massive voice and platform to advance reconciliation or educate the public on Indigenous oppression of Indigenous people. Quote, the Stampede's history is really about successfully moving forward and building an inclusive community and greater community. So why would the Stampede go out and focus on the ills of other groups when we consider our success to be about facilitating going forward and partnerships about our collective future? <laughs> and of course, you know, Councillor Gonick, who just recently got rid of all of the mental health strategies, including the safe consumption site strategy here in the city of Calgary, says uh, there could be backlash if such a thing is handled poorly. I would want to be a part of the Stampede's regular operation and their regular strategic vision and, and planning so that it's more a part of the f uh, festival. Because once you start making something about a 10 day exhibition, it becomes commodified, she says. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. Um, they did start a Pride, which I have attended, and I will continue to attend if they're interested. But again, no intersectionality when it comes to racism and misogyny. And, you know, that's going to continue. So, And I'm just further down the article. It says, frankly, I don't think you can erase the stampede, Michelle says. She believes the organization is capable of reform both in terms of what it represents as an annual festival as well as the makeup of its board. But she worries that the public pressure needed to force those changes comes with a risk. Arguably, the Stampede Board is the most influential board in the city, she said. And anybody saying anything negative about it is committing political suicide. And I couldn't agree more. And then, of course, they quote Gonick throughout the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, it's just disappointing but I, I wanted to give a shout out to Avenue uh, Calgary and for this article because um, I thought it was really brave of you to post that and to put it out in print because I don't think a lot of folks would want to rock the boat at all when it comes to the Stampede Board. So huge shout out to Taylor Lambert for your article. Looking forward to the future of the Stampede, Avenue Magazine Calgary, the June edition. Um yeah, I have a lot of things to say uh, about that because just recently the Global Petroleum Show, and for those who do not know, like, you know, I'm born and raised in Calgary, so um, this is an annual event that happens to promote energy, and it's a, a place that a lot of vendors showcase their international work as well as their local upcoming technology when it comes to energy. And um, so, it's just been kind of a, a thing that we do here in Calgary, and it always happens in June. So anyway, for those who are aware, obviously there's a huge amount of rhetoric, political pressure, as well as lobbyist groups to promote how much they love Canadian oil and gas, specifically Alberta oil sands. And um, they, had, they decided, the organizers of I Love Alberta Oil, oil Sands, decided they were going to have the world's biggest um, rally for Canadian energy and you know as somebody who's in the industry and knows you know almost everyone goes to the global petroleum show and they were giving out free hot dogs so of course you're going to have all of the downtown core basically go to this for one a free hot dog and two because it's their job and they have to so you know lots of people I know walking by going to this on the stampede grounds and um, thankfully <laughs> I said I'm going to this because the, if it's only one person, at least there will be one person. There's some new upcoming activists here in Calgary, um, Heather and Francis, and they, you know, they get it. They just get it, and they're not tied to stupid political parties like I am. Um, as one of my friends kindly, lovingly said, 
I said, you know, I've drank too much of the Kool-Aid. I, I, I can't go back. I, I'll always hate the conservatives, but I can't um, objectively really see outside the liberal bubble too much. And um, I said, I've just drank way too much Kool-Aid. My friend said, oh, no, Michelle, you make the Kool-Aid. <laughs> anyway, so these two new activists who have not drank my Kool-Aid yet and, um, you know, joined me, thankfully. And one of them had the hindsight to actually call the Indigenous liaison at the Calgary police who thankfully joined us because we were there. There was three of us and Heather brought, you know, water is life posters for us to wear. And of the people who wanted to engage, they were not there with any empathy or understanding or willingness to listen. They were just there to tell us why we were wrong. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so thankfully, um, you know, uh, we had our Calgary police officer with us and, you know, as soon as he left, it, the security came up to us and immediately asked us to leave. And one of the, uh, you know, there's a lot of irony. One of the fellows was our, the RCMP constable's son that I grew up in Sylvan Lake with. And he's an environmentalist. So he was trying to justify why it is he's all for energy. Anyway, um, you know, he was trying to say basically how we were wrong over and over in different polite, nice ways. And um, I finally just looked at him when security came up to us and asked us to leave. I said, look, it, out of all of the thousands of people that are here, there's only three Indigenous women being asked to leave these grounds. And um, he he looked all stunned and he looked over at the security and he said, um, we're all being asked to leave, right? And sh And they looked at him and said, no, just them. So you know, we were escorted off the grounds. <laughs> so it is a great example to talk about immediately after Avenue Magazine published that because I don't think people understand our issues. And frankly, again, once again, proving that they don't really care. So anyway, anyway, really grateful that, um, I don't know, a lot of things to be grateful in that moment. And it was that the Calgary police was willing to, um, allow us our our moment there but also that I had two local activists that were willing to stand with me because I was not okay with having nobody counter the so-called world's biggest um uh what, what would you say um rally for energy anyway so I kind of was a bit of a jerk but it was just to basically say to folks for real the average you know media representation or um or anything like they just don't understand where we're coming from ever as indigenous people you know um i, I was reached out by uh i want to say it was fifth the state i could be wrong so maybe um just don't worry about that part but i was reached out about hey if you know the that there's any far-right demonstrations happening in canada or in Calgary, can you just let us know? And I said, oh, well, I'll be at the uh, rally tomorrow for the Global Petroleum Show at the Stampede. And I said, you know, Canadians don't see this as a racist issue, but it is because of the exploitation of the lands and Indigenous people and colonialism. And that's the irony, is that um, there was a new report that came out yesterday that talked about hate in Alberta. And, like, I know feminist groups. I'm with Voices. I'm with the uh, MMIW uh, Calgary Committee. None of us were asked. In fact, I even had an anti-fascist uh, um, contact me and say, oh, we weren't contacted either. So I don't know, like, you know, even the small bit of research that we have on so-called hate studies and reports, like, they don't even tackle the real issues. And they don't see Indigenous um, racism as part of the hate network, which is so ironic, of course, but that is what amplifies and continues white supremacy in Canada. So, you know, these are the types of things I posted. I mean, it only got five acknowledgements, you know, a share. <laughs> People don't get it. They don't get what I'm saying. They don't understand where I'm coming from. So it's just kind of funny because here we are. And I shared this uh, APTN news link that said, it's a farce. No Indigenous women are named in the civilian advisory panel overseeing the RCMP. It, right here we are the inquiry everybody's all 
you know, not paying attention and marginalizing the inquiry. And here we have an opportunity to showcase, oh, no, we're totally going to have an Indigenous woman on our um, advisory panel overseeing the RCMP. But that, nope, nope, no, 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 we're not going to do that. I just, Canada just reinforces white supremacy over and over and over <laughs> Um, one of my favorite um, media articles that came out that I was absolutely shocked came out and that more people are not sharing was by Emma McIntosh. She actually put out an article that said, we fact checked a viral claim about who's killing Emma, my WG, and it was wrong. One of the things that really get put out there is that the RCMP has always said, oh, Indigenous men are the ones killing Indigenous women. Like 70% is ridiculous. So, you know, all of the white supremacist type people like, you know, Faith Goldie and Jonathan Kay, all those types of people who are always undermining the, you know, Indigenous people's genocide issue, they they perpetuate this awful, awful um, so-called stat. And this woman decided, nope, that's... That's not okay. So I'm just going to read a little bit from there. She goes, problem is there's no published research that supports that figure. It's based on years of sloppy uh, collected RCMP data that doesn't examine the actual problems, underlining violence against Indigenous women, and is grounded in a racist assumption about Indigenous people. Um, we have, what we have is people cherry picking evidence and choosing evidence that supports their point of view without sharing the public, the limitations of what they're relying on and putting that information in context, says Cindy Blackstock, executive director of the First Nation Child and Family Caring Society of Canada, um, one of our leading um, advocates. We all love her, Dr. Cindy Blackstock, if you please. It is disturbing to me because of how we are to endure an understanding of Canadians about the experiences and contributions of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people when there is a kind of fabricated evidence being shared around. The federal government began the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls in late 2015 and appointed five commissioners the following August. For three years, the inquiry studied systemic violence against Indigenous women and girls, delivering its final report and recommendations. The final report included an entire section devoted to debunking the uh, 70% figure, the often cited statistic that Indigenous men are responsible for 70% of the murders of Indigenous women and girls is not factually based, it concluded. According, and I, I'm kind of pissed personally because... All of the indigenous women groups across the country have like already said that and debunked it a million times. But we're just indigenous women, <laughs> right? Um, and I say that with loving and respect to my indigenous uh, female leaders because I know and you know we are brilliant. We have, you know, survived genocide. We have survived. When When I think of all of the things our families have survived for us to be here speaking about these things i nothing gives me more immense pride i'm literally just trying to be sarcastic to the you know biased canadians that still think ill of us when it's ridiculous it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard it's like germans looking down on nazi survivors that's what it is and we just still don't make that connection here in canada anyway anyway according to the inquiry the statistic first serviced, uh, surfaced in March of 2015 when the then Indigenous Affairs Minister of Conservative uh, mentioned it in a meeting with several chiefs in Calgary several months after claiming the issue was, an, was on reserve violence with a lack of respect for women. The next month, then RCMP Commissioner Paul um, or Bob Paulson released a statement confirming the stat. However, the RCMP never divulged how it arrived to that number which was never included in any official reports. On Friday, reacting to the news story based on the advanced copy of the MMIWG report, Valcart said on Twitter that the findings were propagandist and said that it had come to some thunderous, silly conclusion. The Conservative Party later distanced itself with Conservative MP Kathleen McLeod, the shadow minister for the Indigenous Affairs tweeting that Valcourt's comments were unacceptable and didn't re represent the party's views. 
but I fucking know it. They sure did in 2015. That's why I've worked so hard as a liberal because I cannot believe everybody's okay with these types of sentiments, but here we are. Anyway, the inquiry's report also noted that up until very recently, RCMP didn't even record whether victims or offenders were indigenous and that such data does exist when reported inconsistently. The RCMP have not found proof have not proven to Canada that they're capable of holding themselves to account. And in fact, many of the truths shared here speak of the ongoing issues of systemic and individual racism, sexism, and other forms of discrimination that prevent honest oversight from taking place, the report said. The 70% uh, figure also fails to take into account the numerous missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls whose deaths weren't recorded as homicides and leaves out unsolved cases, the inquiry found. After reviewing cases, the inquiry believes that uh, there were repeated instances of police mischaracterizations, disappearances, and deaths as not suspicious. The fact is that the number is not sustained, said Commissioner Robinson, a Quebec, or a Quebec, a Nunavut raised lawyer who is not Indigenous. It is quite concerning that this kind of number and this kind of determination is being made when it is so clear that the data is incredibly unreliable. Underlying the spread of the 70% myth is a racist assumption that Indigenous people are inherently violent or uncivil, says Robert Henry, an assistant professor at the UFC, U- University of Calgary, who studied Indigenous justice issues. Also allows people who believe Um, believe it to blame Indigenous men rather than examining their own roles in colonialism as it manifests today. Something that is happening happen if society is to change their mind in any meaningful way, he added. The false statistic maintains the idea that Indigenous men and Indigenous people are doing it to themselves and are not part of the larger structural issues of colonialism which has impacted Indigenous people. We need the broader Canadian society to unlearn what they've learned and understand that they're all complicit in this. Through it's wonderful that Indigenous are engaging in ideas in the report, it's quite concerning that some are quibbling over the finer points of, rather, how to fix the enormity problems at play. Making those kinds of statements is dangerous, and it mischaracterizes the situation. Debating semantics is not going to get us there. After the inquiry's final report was released, current RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky promised that the organization would review its findings and recommendations. <sighs> There's so much more to say, and I want to say it all, but I just thought it was really important that we get that out there again. I mean, Indigenous women organizations have been saying this for years. Um, well, since it first came out, obviously it was something I was saying. And maybe people, this, this is part of the reason why I felt like I needed to step away from the Indigenous Peoples Commission. I don't know if people see what I'm saying as a liberal talking point or as just the truth. And it is the truth. Anyway, I was really yada, yada, yada. I've stepped away from it in the hopes that people can just hear my voice. And that and I just need to do some healing. Um, I don't know if I made that actually very clear. But one of my favorite things that happened, I was talking about what happened at that um, global petroleum show and how we counter protested it. I posted pictures if anybody's interested, just look on our Facebook or look on the Native Calgarian Facebook or my Twitter. Anyway, one of my favorite moments happened when um, there was a fellow a protester that actually came onto the Global Petroleum Show stage and was forcefully, forcefully removed by police and security. And like Danielle Smith was there and Jason Kenny and Nenshi. And it was just one of those great moments because he was like, you know, talking about how the opioid crisis has affected him. And he's just some white guy trying to, like, get his message out. Because, obviously, as an Indigenous woman, nobody's going to listen to me over him. Um, and and he's going to get into a venue like that that I will never get into, right? So, anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, another, like, fun thing that kind of happened, actually, that had nothing to do with Indigenous was just the Toronto Raptors won... Um, finally this NBA championship but there was before that there was a a game that they had lost and walking eagle news again if you're not following this man you do not get our sense of humor it's the funniest stuff anyway they put out this article that said guy who openly sobbed after rappers lost says indigenous people should just get over it and 
like this is why it's so funny because you have the audacity to say to us we've endured genocide and you know a systemic government policy <laughs> meant to eradicate us and yet you know you have the audacity to say that we should get over it when you're like crying over a stupid basketball game oh my god so funny <laughs> anyway anyway i just thought that was so funny <sighs> and my daughter also got uh, told at school genocide's the wrong word by her teacher and that really upset her i uh yeah, I think I need to take some time because, you know, we've been talking about how man camps affect uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women. As a former drafter, I know we can move right away and nobody wants to listen to me because I'm an Indigenous woman with energy experience that's advocating um, against uh, violence against Indigenous women. And anyway, I've posted things like, you know, Trans Mountain Pipeline leaked 100 liters of crude oil north of Canloops. I've posted about, um, you know, in Chilliwack elementary schools that are asking they move the right away from to not be underneath their, their school because the first one isn't there. Because there's this like a perpetuation of, oh, well, you know, we're just twinning the old one. They're not. They're not just twinning the old one. They are making a new right away. And as somebody who used to draft wells and pipelines, we would move access routes and pipeline routes on the whim of a of a farmer but how convenient racist canada cannot do that for indigenous people after taking 99.9 percent of the land <laughs> I, I think it's 99.8 percent of the land actually but we have to develop it over indigenous land anyway 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 i have so much i want to say i've been sharing a ton of stuff uh, i'd love to you know, I've been really appreciating the retweets, the likes, um, you know, the reshares. I'm really honored to uh, try to get out some messages. And, you know, I was really hurt last week by a group of people. And one one leader actually had the audacity to say, Michelle, you don't you don't um, represent indigenous voices. <laughs> and I thought, well, I you know, I know where that comes from. One, the ignorance of indigenous people I, but it's also that truth hurts they don't like hearing that but it is also too because i don't get the endorsements and such that from uh indigenous people that regular canadians expect from canadians when they run or whatever but obviously it, it wouldn't matter anyway none of that matters because racism is racism is racism and even though he was a brown man that said it to me Ultimately, what it comes down to is that, uh, you know, he's not reading the kind words that you're all saying. You're, he's not seeing the reshares. He's not seeing the retweets because he doesn't care. He just cares about his narrative. So I just um, I did decide I would take up a new position with uh, a new group that's forming here in Canada or Calgary that's talking about violence and hate and uh interfaith but uh, it's it's going to be a challenge so i have recruited a few new indigenous folks to come join me on um on these meetings and we'll let you know how it goes but the most important thing for folks to know is that you know that lack of empathy is the root of hate and violence and the irony is even though i advocate for other communities they don't necessarily see their role in advocating for indigenous folks and i don't care Somebody gave me a mic. Thank you, dear, for giving me a mic. And uh, here I am now talking where you might not see me on social media um, in the way you think I should be representing myself, but I'm out there and I'm talking about only my people. And I, I mean, geez, you guys all heard me at the start of this. If you, there's any questions, you know, misrepresentations, anything, you always bring it back to me. That's that's the whole thing. Like, I don't speak for all Indigenous people, but I can share what I know. And some of you are even listening to it. <laughs> anyway, Indigenous have been talking about issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and the public, uh, just so that it can be regularly disregarded, as we've seen with the inquiry report. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Honor these reports. Listen to politicians and their platforms and policies. They don't recognize the marginalization in their budget with Gender Equity Plus. If they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, know that your vote to that party is directly impacting negatively marginalized people. 
demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports on child welfare reform and violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, and I'll add to spirit because I love you. Denying those reports is a form of a abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, health, justice institutions, uh, media institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from elections, platforms, and politicians. And if they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties and all local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. Violence is just my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people do not want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs. And by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, people who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo or people who are in their trauma. They stop people from doing the work and they deplete all of the uh, resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. It is sad I needed a podcast for this boundary to be heard, but here we are. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in in the future as I try to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand down the red road. I want to continue encouraging others to do cultural safety, to do those actions, to speak up when you see somebody, oh, I don't know, a lesbian couple being beaten on the train or on the bus, or whether it's an indigenous person, a person of color, a person with disability, LGBTQ, you know, look for that, do something, take responsibility for your learning, read, reflect, ask questions. Take, having good intentions is not enough. You have to take action in order to make change. So take that time for self-reflection. Be aware of your assumptions, your biases. Step in. You know, commit to lifelong lear- learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understand colonialism and the legacy of racism is ongoing and a difficult task. I want to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca for your what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it as a guideline I've been using for, what, now 54 episodes. Um, internalized racism or lateral violence is a form of violence Indigenous or marginalized folks experienced by the structure of racism imposed on these lands, such as the Indian Act, Indian Residential Schools, past system, and other land-clearing policies. So learn about what internalized racism is. You know, be a bystander and do intervention when you see people being marginalized and this is all online. Um, it's in many of my previous uh, episodes. But just know, if you do nothing, your silence is dangerous. It communicates approval. Just like Hitler knew, he was fine. Because Germans, if they did not say anything negative, they just amplified his voice. Just like we're seeing with Trump in these immigration um, concentration camps. And just like we see in Canada and the U.S. with reserves and reservations that have been long-standing a part of settler um, reality. Anyway, if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for non-Indigenous folks, just call the distress center in your local area. Um, I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, for what strength looks like through your example. Um, one of my favorite moments this week was being at uh, the city of Chestermere. They invited us to come. Joanne, thank you. Um, somebody asked the question, what gives you pride? And my daughter just jumped out of her seat to say, my granny's bannock. And I laughed and I jokingly said, wars could be started over whose bannock is best, but Obviously, my daughter was lucky enough to even have my granny's bannock. And I'm just so grateful that my granny and my mom were able to survive all these stupid government policies. And all of my family, for that matter, my aunties, my uncles, some of you had to go to this stupid sacred heart in Fort Providence. And I hate that you had to go through that. But because of your strength, um, 
and give a shout out to one of my uncles who has gone through AA and has like almost three decades now under his belt of being sober. You show me what strength looks like through your example. You are what gives me pride. And that was my answer to that question was you and what you've survived and endured. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and her roots and teaching Stepping up and teaching me how to be a proud Calgarian, it's through her that I am a second-generation Calgarian, and my daughter is now a third. I want to say thank you to my husband. You know, he's been producing, editing this show, on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child. He has supported me down the journey of the Red Road and has witnessed decades of racism and sexism that I've had to endure. And just recently, I put up a video of another incident that happened in my area. Anyway... Our child, I am so blessed to learn from you every single day. I'm honored you chose us. And I, you give me daily accountability to be a stronger and better person. And in front of everybody at the city of Chestermere, she actually called me out and was like, Mom, I didn't know we were from Treaty 11. And I was like, okay, wow. And I just slapped my hand like I was a bad mommy. <laughs> but she does. She gives me daily accountability. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful she chose us. So my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to Alexandra, Alexandria, uh, Ashley, Beatrice, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Jody, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Lee, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. Um, if you did one donation or did many and had to quit for financial reasons, Please know I appreciate your support too. I'm so grateful that you did even one time. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you value listening and afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to say thank you to Lee Larange for your comment. If your podcast is a blend of self-empowerment and healing for you, then it is propelled into the sound waves. And I feel them here, and I thank you for that. And to my cousin, who I always reference, <laughs> when we look at this, the Calgary rabbits, I always say, you're lucky I'm not tradish. And my cousin says, or you'd be in my dish. And with that, thank you for listening. <laughs>